been wonderful. Some of you, it, it's always fun because it, every week you're like, okay, which theater are we going to be in? Uh, are we going to be in that theater or this theater? You just never know. We just kind of keep you on our toes. So, um, you know, if, if you're missing a, a, a child or if you're missing somebody, they probably just walked into another theater, you know, or something. So we apologize for that. But we're glad that you are here this morning. And uh, we're going to jump right into a, a new series we're, t- we're entitling Climate Change. And we're going to go through the book of Philippians over the next several weeks. We're just going to kind of jump into this book and just dive down and to, to pull out some things. Uh, if you've noticed my rhythm of preaching as I get up and speak, I spend a lot of time in the Old Testament. And lately I've been thinking I've been spending too much time in the Old Testament, so I'm trying to get more New Testament focus, but I just love studying the Old Testament. It's rich with truth, and it's so relevant to my life, and so I constantly just find myself being drawn back there, and so it's hard. Some people say, oh, no, no, I love the New Testament, and I do love it, but for me, when I enjoy studying, I enjoy studying uh, the the Old Testament, and so this this is going to be a lot of fun for me, and to just dive into this book, and to kind of dissect it, and pull it apart as we jump into this new series, and we entitled it Climate Change because every one of you has a climate. You do. Whether you know it or not, you have a climate. And uh, other people, just like, just like the weather affects things around us, your climate affects people around you as well. Um, and uh, you, you know how this works. You're having a good day, just like the video showed. She's perky, the receptionist, but the other person who spilled her coffee is not happy. Well, her negativity affected the other person. Your climate, your temperature can affect other people around you. And we're going to kind of dive into that because that's one of those things where a lot of us feel like we are a victim to our emotions or our moods. We feel like, no, 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 this is just how I feel. And some of you don't understand that you can fight your feelings. Some of you just don't know that. And uh, it's important that we deal with things like our moods because some of you, because of a mood, you sent that tweet and it went off or you sent that email because of a mood or you said that word because of a mood. And some of you know how destructive a mood can be, your mood. And uh, so we're hoping as through this series to kind of teach us some things from the scripture that will help us, not just on a very practical level, but on a deeper level as well. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to touch the person next to you and say, I'm feeling better already just sitting next to you. Just touch the person next to you. Say, I'm feeling better already just sitting next to you. It just makes me feel all better just sitting next to you. I, see, isn't it amazing? You do feel better. It's like, wow, that just, look how that happened. Sitting next to you just made you feel better. The energy just kind of went up in the room. And it's amazing once you start that positive energy, how it keeps on going, all right? But the question we need to ask ourselves, is it possible to change the climate of our life? Is it possible? You have a climate, and some of you, your climate has been affected by negative circumstances or bad conditions, and that's why your climate is such. You go into work, and you're discouraged because the work is not going so well, so you have a negative climate about work. Uh, Some of you, things at home aren't going well with your teenagers, so there's a negative climate. As soon as you get home, there's this dark cloud that just kind of hangs over you, this negativity. And some of you are thinking, is it possible to have the right mood even when I'm in a bad situation? 
And we're going to study that this morning. We're going to dive into it. And we're not just going to talk about it. We're going to dive into a character who's going to exemplify the possibility of it. Because we want to see things change. And we're going to dive into Philippians chapter number 1. And we're just going to read the first seven verses this morning. I'm going to open my Bible. First Philippians, or first Philippians. There's not multiple. There's only one. Philippians chapter number 1. Notice verse number 1. The Apostle Paul is writing, and he says, Paul and Timothy, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and the deacons. It's interesting when you stop and consider the fact that Paul is writing this letter, okay? Timothy, his son in the faith, is with him, and in all of the Apostle Paul's letters, he wrote 13 books in the New Testament. He, in all of his writings, it's usually addressed... Paul, the servant of Jesus Christ. This is the only time he says Paul and Timothy. This is totally unrelated to the message. But here is Paul bringing along, saying, hey, we wrote this together, even though we know Paul wrote it. Even though Paul wrote it. He's saying, hey, Timothy, we're, we're in this together. And that's a good thought for you and I to understand that as you go through life, you're not just flying solo. You're in this together. In verse number two, the Bible says this. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Verse number four. Wait, hold on. Let me uh, back up. Uh, When I was dating my wife, I still try to date her. She would send me this verse. And uh, I didn't realize what it was, but she would send me Philippians 1, 3. And the first time I was like, why is this girl sending me Bible verses? You know, I mean, that's kind of cool and spiritual and everything. Then I opened it up and I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's good. I like that. I like me some Bible. Oh, yeah. Bring it. And so, uh, uh, you know, it was just one of those things. I'm telling you, if you're dating, there's just something you could do. You know, that's uh, what we call uh, uh, Christian pickup lines, you know. So, um, but uh, there's a bunch of them in Song of Solomon and Ecclesiastes, if you want to use those. We don't have time. But verse number four, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart insomuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you're all partakers of my grace. And in verse number seven, I hope you caught it. He said, even so much in my Bonds. I want you to understand the Apostle Paul is not just going to throw out some things just to kind of uh, tickle our ears this morning and saying, hey, here's the secret of happiness. Here's the secret of joy. Here's a guy who is in the middle of a Roman prison, which wasn't like today's prison with TV and medical care, and you could go in and work out and come out like Mike Tyson and go win championships. That's not what the prisons were like then, okay? Back then, it was just a hole in the ground. They threw you in a hole. That's, that's where you were. There was no light. It's just That's just how it was. And here's the Apostle Paul. He spent time in these type of circumstances, and here he's writing about the people at Philippi, which is even more interesting. Now, as we do this series, I want us to kind of go deep, and I'm not going to go on a rabbit trail. We're going to go down the rabbit hole, and I hope you don't mind that, because as we really pull apart this passage, we've kind of got to connect some dots real quick. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to Acts chapter number 15. You say, why Acts 15? Because in Acts chapter number 15, we see where the Apostle Paul first came to the city of Philippi. And at Philippi, I want you to understand some things that happened there. He's talking about, it's actually Acts 15, where the Apostle Paul first came to Philippi. And we think when he came to Philippi, and he has all these great memories, like this is just him talking about a nice spot he visited. 
Let me stop before I read this passage. How many of you have fond memories of negative places? Very few of us. Some of us are like, no. Negative places, no. There are certain places you're like, oh, I don't want to go there again. I I have no desire to go there. Um, My family, we were on an overnight vacation to head over to my grandparents, and we broke down in Bakersfield. Okay, that's a terrible place to break down. And we were just stuck there. We just spent our weekend vacation in Bakersfield because our van broke down. And I was like, I have no desire to go back to Bakersfield. There's nothing about going to Buck Owens Highway. And I don't care about the streets of Bakersfield. I spent enough time on the streets of Bakersfield. Some of you remember the country song. And uh, I'm just, there's nothing appealing about it. And I have negative memories. For some of you, there are people you avoid because there's negative memories associated with that person. There are places you avoid because of negative circumstances. Here, the Apostle Paul in Acts 15 or 16, there's some negative things that happened to him. Matter of fact, here's where it starts. Chapter 16, the Bible says this. This is where he meets in verse number 14. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, worshiped God, heard us whose heart the Lord had opened, and she attended unto the things which were spoken of the Apostle Paul. Here's the beginning of the early church that started at Philippi. And this same passage starts building up this church at Philippi. Things are going good. But then there's a demon-possessed woman. He cast the demon out of her, but the people that were profiting by her didn't like that, so they told the leaders to throw them into jail. So in jail, in prison, at Philippi, verse number 25, here's what the Bible says. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. So this is Philippi. This is that city. This is where all of it took place. There's some negative events that happened. And here the Apostle Paul in Philippians is writing this letter to this early church. And he's saying, hey, I have great memories of you. Hey, every time I think about you, it just brings back a flood of all that God is doing. And matter of fact, he's even saying, I thank God upon every remembrance of you. Here's a guy who's in a bad state, but it's not affecting him internally. And that's the secret we're going to really dive into this morning. That how can you be in bad conditions but still have the right outlook? And I'm going to entitle this sermon simply, I am a thermostat, not a thermometer. I am a thermostat, not a thermometer. I touch your neighbor and say, you're a thermostat. You're a thermostat. You say, why, why is the big deal? Because the thermostat controls the climate in your home, does it not? For some of you, you're like, no, I don't have central heating or AC. It's the swamp cooler. It's the window fan. It's the open the refrigerator. Come on. That's old school right there when you need to cool off. And some of you don't have that. But I'm telling you this. You're a thermostat. You're not a thermometer. You see, what's the difference between a thermometer and a thermostat? This thermometer can't change the climate. It only tells you what the climate is. And for some of you, that's all you're doing. You're just walking around life telling everybody it stinks. Life is negative. It's hot. It's cold. It's stormy. It's bad out there. It's depression. It's horrible. The economy, politics, it's all, it's all negative. And all you're doing is you're just stating what the conditions are. Because you're not a thermostat. You just want to be the thermometer. And you just feel like you need to go through life just being one of these. But I'm here to challenge you. Even the Apostle Paul, who is in the midst of difficult circumstances, said, Hey, I'm not only going to see a change in my circumstances, but I'm going to help encourage others who might be in a difficult circumstance as well. And so the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to encourage the believers in Philippi. And I believe we're going to dive in and find some truth. But I want you to write this down. To change the climate around us. We must first learn 
to control the climate within us. To change the climate around us, we must first learn to control the climate within us. And for some of you, you're like, no, that's not possible. No, 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 no. I, 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 that's just, just my emotions just kind of go. I'm just an emotional person. I, I, I wear my feelings on my sleeve. Everything just kind of gets me. Is it truly possible to control those conditions? Is it truly possible? And we're going to look at that this morning. You see, I want you to understand this. Some of you need to learn how to fight your feelings and not your family and friends. Some of you, instead of fighting the mood, instead of fighting the feelings, you're fighting your family. You're fighting something else. But what if it's time to say, no, no, I'm going to fight these feelings. I'm going to fight this mood. You know, um, I'm going I'm I'm to work on this. And I want you to write this down if you would. Paul's a prisoner, but he's not captive to his conditions. Paul is literally, in Philippians chapter number 1, he is a prisoner, but he's not captive to those conditions. Those conditions haven't strangled him. They haven't bound him. They haven't locked him up. For some of you, it's the exact opposite. You're not in a jail this morning. You're not in a prison. Nobody's got you handcuffs to Roman guards, but yet you are living in a prison of your own making. And some of you are waiting for somebody else to bring you the key. You'll say things like this. If my boss would just give me the bonus, my finances would turn all around. You're waiting for somebody else to bring you the key to let let you out of financial difficulty. Oh, here's another one. If, If my wife would just get it together, you're waiting for somebody else to bring you the key to change your climate. You know, if my kids would just straighten up, this would be a lot better. If they would just, if they would just knock it off and respect me, what are you doing? You've created a prison. You've made yourself the victim. You've put yourself in there, but you're saying somebody else has the key. You're saying somebody else needs to come let me out. You're saying that God is not strong enough to give you the tools and the power to overcome those negative emotions and that climate. What you're doing is you're just saying, no, I'm trapped. I'm a victim. I'm just going to stay here. And some people do. For years, they become bitter, negative, cranky, crotchety people. And you're just like, I don't want to be around them. And some of you, your boss is that person. Some of you, your neighbor is that person. Some of you, don't elbow anybody, but you might be that person. And it's this, this truth that I'm hoping will set you free. Because even though the Apostle Paul is a prisoner, he's not captive to his conditions. You're not captive either. Even though you feel like the conditions surrounding you are so bad and so negative, I want you to understand that you can be set free. I was watching with my kids. Last week, I told you I was watching The Jungle Book. This week... I was watching a show, and I hate this show. I just realized that I hated this show. And maybe some of your parents can, can uh, join me. I hate the show on PBS called Caillou. Do I have a witness in here? Anybody else hate that show? I despise that show. You say, why? Because it's about this kid that whines about everything. He stubbed his toe. He cries. He dropped his sucker. He cries. He gets himself locked in the bathroom. He cries. And he's constantly this helpless, pathetic victim. And uh, I was watching the show with my kids just thinking, this is just so terrible. Now, I didn't spend hours, you know, binge watching. It wasn't like we got to catch up on a couple episodes. You got whole seasons. No, no, no. It wasn't like that. It was we were sitting there watching. I'm just thinking, this is ridiculous. I can't believe how bad this is. Austin, maybe you're not allowed to watch this. You're not allowed to act like this. And then the dad said something that just, I almost broke my iPad. All right? He said, Caillou, it's okay to feel sad. Sometimes you just got to feel sad. It's okay to feel sad. What are you talking about? My two-year-old's got his own bedroom. He's got all the food he could want, all the toys he needs. His medical's provided. He's got a roof over his head. He's got an awesome dad, an amazing mom. He's got a great church, good friends. And yet, 
He's, it's okay for him to be sad? Are you kidding me? What are we telling our kids? And I said, this is it. We're watching Daniel the Tiger. I like that show better when he was Mr. Rogers, but that's okay. Uh, that maybe they didn't, found out he was, used to be a sniper, and then that didn't go over so well. But anyway, so uh, Daniel the Tiger, we're watching that show. Daniel the Tiger was having a grumpy day too. Guess what his dad said? I guess his dad was watching Caillou as well. His dad said the exact same stinking thing. It's okay, Daniel, to just be a little bit sad sometimes. No, it's not. Why do we think it's okay for kids just to kind of walk around sad? My kids have no reason to be sad. None whatsoever. It's not like they watch the 6 o'clock news. Hey, Dad, you know this thing with Iran. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm, we building a bomb shelter in the backyard? I mean, I'm, you know, Megan's four, you know, with a gas mask on or something. No, she's not doing that. She's like, Daddy, can you braid my hair? Can we go out on a date? Can we go have some fun? There's no reason for a four-year-old to be discouraged or depressed. And yet we're going to let them watch TV that says, You're a prisoner of your emotions. But can I tell you what? We do it in church all the time. Where you feel like your emotions, you just got to run with it. Like, I, I, I can't do anything about this. The moods we feel are very destructive at times. Haven't you noticed that? Some of the things we've done and said. Remember the airplane that just crashed? Uh, I think it was a German or it was a European airline. The guy told his girlfriend a week before, he said to his girlfriend, the, the relationship wasn't going very well. He said, you're going to remember me. I'm going to do something where everybody's going to remember my name. Then he locked his co-pilot outside of the cockpit, and then he crashed the plane right on the side of the mountain. 170 souls, I think, died because the one guy was in a mood. Your moods are destructive, aren't they? A mood can get somebody fired. It can get you fired. The mood can destroy a relationship. That mood will make you angry as you're driving down the freeway. You're going to hit that gas, and all of a sudden, there's going to be a car wreck. It's amazing today we see all teen suicides on the, on the rise. Why is it? Because they're in a mood. Moods are powerful. And we need to know how to deal with them through Scripture. Now, I want you to understand something. I'm not a psychologist, though I'm doing a lot of studying into the brain and how the brain works. I'm not against anybody that takes medication. I'm not against anybody who goes and sees this therapist. We're not, I'm not here to, here to bash any of that. I am here to say that as we look at the Scripture, the Bible will give us a lot of tools that we can have as well. So if you have a therapist that says you're just captive to your emotions, just check with Paul. Let's just check with Paul. And that's, that's all I'm going to do. I'm not going to say, hey, you don't go see him. Don't talk to him. Don't take. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I'm saying is the apostle Paul lays out the tools because here he is a prisoner, but he's not captive to his conditions. What a powerful truth that is that you and I don't have to be captive to our conditions. But it starts with something. You say, where does it start? You and I need to have a, and understand that the problem is our paradigm. You say, what do you mean? It's our way of thinking. It's how we think about things. You say, I want to control how I feel. It starts with the mind. You say, why would it start with my mind? The Bible says this throughout Scripture, that the devil is constantly attacking, constantly on the warpath. Where does that battleground happen? The Apostle Paul laid it out best in 2 Corinthians. He said, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Ephesians chapter number 6. He said, we are wrestling against the host of heavenly enemies. They are coming against us. And I know sometimes it's not real popular to talk about church that there's demons and there's enemy that's after you. But you know where he attacks? He attacks your mind. That's where he starts. I'm not going to do this, but I think for some of us, we've had that thought pop into our head. As you're driving down the freeway, just run this car off the road. Now, don't raise your hand. 
I'll raise my hand and say, yes, I've had that thought. But you say, where does that come from? Did the Holy Spirit just say, you know what, you're messing up the whole gene pool. I just need you to come home. Do you think that was what the Holy Spirit? Was that God just saying, you know what, I really miss you, daughter of mine. I really miss you, child of mine. You know what, let's just, uh, let's just take, right now, come on. Just, just take this car over that cliff. Just do it. No. That's the enemy. The Bible talks about in Philippians chapter number 4. That whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. The Apostle Paul, and we're going to get to it in chapter 4, he's going to lay out exactly what you should think. Exactly. The problem is, you and I don't think about what we think about. Let me go a little bit deeper. How many of you have a, some type of an alarm security system at your house? Maybe it's an alarm. Maybe it's a deadbolt. Maybe it's your gun. Maybe it's a baseball bat. Maybe it's your wife. I don't know what your alarm It could be a dog. I don't know what your alarm system is, but you have some type of security. I don't think anybody went to bed last night with the door wide open thinking, I'm in small town America. Nothing's going to happen. Come on in. There's a cod in the living room, you know, if you need a place to stay. Nobody did. I think we all last night, before we go to bed, it's our routine. Before we go to bed, we check the windows, we check the doors, we lock everything up. We protect our homes. We protect what matters to us, right? We protect it. Some of you, you protect your identity. But the one thing that most Christians do not, and I'm going to say most Christians do not protect, is the mind. We let thoughts fly around our mind and just pop into our head. They didn't look at me nice. They didn't shake my hand. I can't believe Raul just, he was an usher, and he didn't even greet me. He gave, he gave Caleb a hug, didn't give me a hug. And then it just, thoughts start flying in our minds. We start thinking negative thoughts, and things just start happening. We're just like, wait a minute. Why am I thinking these crazy thoughts? Where is this coming from? It's not of God. So the Bible says, casting down every thought. And imagination that's evil. Cast it down. To cast it out. To get rid of it. To not let it in. But some of us, you're not putting the guard over your mind. Matter of fact, in Proverbs, it says that we are to guard our heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. Everything flows through it. Understand that that is connected to the emotions. I wrote this down. and You may want to write it down as well. The activity of the mind affects the attitude of the heart. What happens in here will affect how you feel here. Seriously, just start thinking about the happiest moment of your life and just tell me if you don't feel better. Let's try it. The happiest moment of your life, all of a sudden, there's just a joy that starts welling up. You start thinking about it. Take out a family photo of, of a great memory. It was a, a sibling day on Facebook the other day, and uh, my brother posted a picture, and I, I love this picture. It was one of the few family photos we got from Olin Mills. I don't know if they're even still around, but we go to Olin Mills once a year, and we get a family photo. Well, my younger brother Daniel was in front of me, and, uh, you know, he's just being a goofball, and uh, he wasn't smiling for the picture. And so just before the little lady, and the lady said, hey, one, two, three, I just pinched him as hard as I could in the butt. Just, just gave it to him. And she took the picture at the perfect time. So we're all smiling, and Daniel's like, you know, I mean, you could just tell. It was awesome. I nailed it. It was just like epic. Go see it on my Facebook page. It's there. And Daniel's just like, what happened? It was, it was just great. I look at that picture, and I can't be down. I can't be discouraged because I'm looking at something, and as my mind thinks back on those memories, all of a sudden my heart is affected. So that's why we need to guard our mind. And it starts with the problem is our paradigm, how we're thinking. We need to change our thinking. But some of us, we're, we're not wanting to do that. You're not willing to change your thinking because 
And here's the second problem, because the problem is your pattern. You have a thinking pattern that you've grown up with, and it's very hard to change a thinking pattern. Bill's a golf instructor, and sometimes I'll talk to him about golf. I want to get better. I'm not a very good golfer, but I'll, I'll talk to him. And I'll say, hey, I'm, I'm working on this golf swing. And he says, don't work on that unless I'm there. I'm thinking, Wait, why? Why not? Doesn't practice make perfect? He said, no. Practice makes permanent. I was like, oh. So he said, if you have a bad grip, or if you're not following through, or you're lifting your head up a little bit, and you always lift your head up, he said, when you get on the course, guess what you're going to do? Because practice makes permanent, not perfect. So you're going to keep doing that. So you grew up around parents that were just negative. You grew up around people who are negative. You grew up with people that had a wrong climate. You grew up with people that are constantly captive mentality. Guess what mentality you have? You have that. And so it's not just overnight. It's going to change. It's not going to. It's going to take some time to work through that pattern because the problem is the paradigm, but also the problem is your pattern. So you're going to have to start changing that pattern. So it's going to take some consistent work. It's not just going to happen overnight. You're going to need to work on this thing and constantly saying, Lord, help me with this pattern. Help me with this pattern. Help me work this out. Help me change this. Because until you do, you'll still have a captive mentality. Notice, secondly, the Apostle Paul He's being persecuted. That's why he's in jail. Persecuted. For doing right. For doing the right thing. If anybody should be upset in Philippians, it should be the Apostle Paul. He should just be a little bit miffed, a little bit ticked off, a little bit angry at God, just a little bit uh, angry. But you know what? I, I read verse number 6, and the Apostle Paul said this. He said, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Here's the Apostle Paul saying, hey, you know what? I may be persecuted, but he's not concerned. He's confident. Isn't that amazing? He's in a Roman prison, but he's not concerned. He's confident. Wow. I don't know what situation you're in, but I would bet that many of you are concerned about the situation you're in. It's human nature, right? It's human nature. You're concerned. The Apostle Paul, he didn't write them and say, hey, I'm I'm not really sure how this is going to go. These Roman guards, they, they haven't whipped anybody in a while, and they're giving me the eye. I, I don't know if I'm up next. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. And, and instead of being concerned in this letter, what's he telling these fellow believers, this new church? He's saying, hey, I'm confident in God. He's saying, my confidence isn't changed. It's not diminished. I'm, I, I'm more bold. I'm more excited about what God is doing because he understood that his pain was God's platform to do something great, to encourage this church, to see something happen. He understood it. He knew it. And so instead of giving in to doubt and instead of giving in to defeat, he's giving in to, he's feeding this fuel. All of you need to become CEOs. You say, hey, yeah, I'd love to be the CEO. Have you seen what he makes? No, no, you're thinking the wrong kind of CEO. You need to become the chief encouragement officer of your life. CEO. Chief encouragement officer. That's your job. Because once you understand that, wait a minute, God knows the future. He knew how this is going to work out. I can have some confidence in him and start talking to yourself and start letting it get inside of yourself. Why do you think David wrote so many of the Psalms and what would he say? Why art thou downcast, O my soul? He would just state how he was feeling. But then he wouldn't stop there. He would continue on. Hope thou in God. 
As for God, his way is perfect, Psalms 18. And he maketh my way perfect, verse 32 of Psalms 18. Understand that he, even though he addressed that, hey, there's some negative things, there was this confidence building. Are you building the confidence? Or are you the one that's just letting these negative thoughts just kind of erode your confidence? You see, the Apostle Paul didn't just mention confidence once. Matter of fact, in the same passage, he mentions it again in verse number 14, and then again in verse number 25. Three times he says confidence. Three times. Here he is saying, don't just be confident once, don't just be confident twice, but three times. Be confident. Throughout Scripture, you'll see when talking about God, or they'll say that he is holy, holy, holy. Three times. When you see three, it's a number of, of, of perfection, completion. Here, here he's saying, hey, be confident, be confident, be confident. He said, no doubt, just be confident. And I want to say that to us, church. We need to be confident in God, confident in Christ, confident, confident, confident. I know the situation seems difficult, it seems bleak, but where is your confidence? He's saying, hey, uh, 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 hope thou in God, have confidence in him. But some of us, we're not. Because we don't understand that there's, a, there, that there's not only... <laughs> I love this. Write this down if you want to. People make predictions. God makes promises. How many of you made a prediction for the final four? Anybody? Anybody? A couple of you made a couple of predictions. It was kind of crazy. Duke and Wisconsin. And then Duke finally won it, I think was... No, I, I was picking Kentucky. And then Wisconsin beat out Kentucky. And then those two went on. Eh, I'm horrible at predictions. Just horrible. Our first child, I was saying, it's going to be a boy. It's going to be a boy. So I was saying it so much, my wife just broke down and cried. And she said, I just want a girl. Can you stop saying it's a boy? And then inside, I would just whisper, it's a boy, it's a boy, it's a boy. And then when it came out, it was not a boy. It was a girl. I'm horrible at predictions. You see, in this passage, we see God not making a prediction there. Verse 6, is that a prediction? Is God saying, mm, I hope this turns out okay for you? Or is that a promise? That's a promise, folks. I've got it underlined in my Bible, and I've got it circled. I've got it highlighted, and I've got notes, and I've got my name next to it. Because it says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. That means God's constantly working on you. He's constantly developing you. He's constantly working on this project, making you better, helping you, strengthening you, giving life to you, helping you with the circumstances, helping you navigate the conditions. He's constantly there. It's no prediction. Man makes predictions. God makes promises. You can tweet that. It's under 140 characters. It's good stuff. And I'm telling you what, here's what we need to understand is it's a promise from God that he's working on you. But let's back up. Some of you, you still have a hard time with it because here's how you're thinking. All of us have a to-do list, and there's a lot of projects on that to-do list that we've started and stopped. And our loving spouse reminds us lovingly, tenderly, oh so gently, that we have things on our to-do list that we started in 2012 that still have not been completed. And so some of you are thinking that God is very similar to how you get around to projects. How you get around to fixing the leaky faucet. How you get around to changing the oil. How you get around to taking that shopping trip or doing that thing. And sometimes we just have a hard time. But we need to understand something. The Bible says, for God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. You see, God is high. He is above it at all and so he's saying i made a promise and i will complete this promise i will fulfill it so paul is being persecuted but he's not concerned he's confident how's your confidence this morning 
Are you confident in Christ this morning? Are you confident what God is going to do in your family, that he will come through? We don't have to worry, and I wish we would just kind of let the worry go, because worry doesn't work. It hasn't worked for you. Why do we constantly go back to it? It never helped us, but worry just seems like that old friend we just know we can depend on, like we can always go back. Because you need to find something better. But remember, it goes back to our thinking. You and I, we've had this pattern. And it's going to take a long time to change that pattern. That doesn't just happen overnight. But it will happen. And the Apostle Paul, he even gives an analogy in the same passage. In verse number 11, he says, being filled with the fruits of righteousness. And I love the fact that he brings in fruit in agricultural term. Because agricultural takes time when you're going to grow something. It doesn't just happen overnight. It doesn't just change overnight. You, you will get the fruit, but it's not going to happen overnight. There's going to be some developing. And then thirdly, notice this. Paul is peaceful. He's not confused. He's in control. You say, why would we mention that? Verse number 12 of chapter 1, the Bible says this. But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places, and many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of good will. He's saying, hey, look, guys, I'm not confused about what's happening. I'm in control. Now, you say, where do you get the whole control aspect? He's in prison. Somebody else put him there, but he controlled it. You need to understand, it's time to own what we can control. And we're not talking about the Oprah Winfrey Network, okay? We're trying to own what is in our life. You say, what can he own? What could he control? First of all, he was controlling his thinking the way he thought. He wasn't just going to let any thought out of his mind. He said, I'm going to control certain things. The Bible says this in Isaiah 26, verse 3. That will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you, God. He says, I'll keep you in perfect peace if your mind is stayed on me. Keeping your mind fixed on God. Having your mind just fixed there, staying there. Some of you, the first thing you do when you wake up is check the phone. That's the first thing you do. You say, no, I slapped the alarm clock and I hit snooze or I hit it on my cell phone. Like, give me another eight minutes. I want my eight minutes back. And so, the, but the first thing you do is you pull it up and you go onto Facebook. What do people say about me? Did I get any text message? Did I get any tweets? What's on Instagram? What's on Pinterest? And as soon as you do that, you know what you start just allowing into your mind? Somebody else's thoughts. It's a new discipline that I'm working on. And it's the first thing that I do as I wake up is I just kind of lie there, but then I let my mind focus in on God. Just give him my first thoughts in the morning. There's a powerful truth when we do that, and the psalmist said it best in Psalms chapter number 1. Let me read it for you. He said this. He said, Blessed is the man that walketh in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate both day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in its season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. 
There's a connection between prosperity and meditation on God. And I can go even a little bit deeper. Joshua 1.8. Some of you, you say, that's my life verse. When we talk about Joshua 1.8, here's what Joshua, the writer said. This book of law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. There's a connection between our thoughts and our prosperity. Because what we think about, our, our activity will affect our attitude. And people with a good attitude always go farther in life. They always do. If you will just have the right attitude, I promise your boss will want to promote you. I promise you'll get promoted if you just have the right attitude. I could tell you I've gotten offered jobs simply because of an attitude. Simply because of an attitude. I just said, I'm just going to hire you just because I like your attitude. It's the only reason. The only reason we were able to pull off that event where thousands of people showed up to the Easter egg hunt is because I sat down in the superintendent's office, and guess what he said? He said, you're just a really hard guy to say no to. Everybody in the office likes you. Well, they better. I brought them Starbucks and nothing bunt cakes, and I bribed them. I mean, this, I, I paid my dues, man. Attitude. What if I went in there and said, you know who pays for those public schools? I do. Give me that high school. They said, see you, buddy. Have fun with those 35,000 Easter eggs in your front lawn. (laughs) All right, everybody, doggy pile, get your eggs. Wouldn't have worked, folks. It wouldn't have worked. The attitude's not working for you either. Teenager, it's not working. You're at school, copping the attitude. It's just not working. Copping the attitude of your parents, it's just not going to work. The attitude of the boss just doesn't work. The attitude of the spouse just, it's not going to work. You see, the Apostle Paul said, hey, I can't control my location, but I can control this, and I'm going to control this. He decided, I'm going to control my thinking. If you will say, I'm going to control this, I'm going to start with that. I'm going to control what I can. Not only did he control what he was thinking, notice next, he also said, hey, here's what else I can control. I can control what I speak. You say, why is that important? Because I think some of you have said this. I just say what I feel. I just got to speak my mind. (laughs) How did that work for you? Saying what you feel. I bet that goes over real well. Yes, when that person cut you off and you pulled up next to him. I'm just going to say what I feel to that person. No. (laughs) Try that when trying to have a meaningful conversation. I'm just saying what I feel. How did that work out for you? It doesn't. Because you're just saying what I feel. Wait a minute. But your feelings are wrong. They're lying to you. Isn't it amazing to think that what's inside of us is like on self-destruct mode? It's like not always trying to help us. And some of you, you just, well, it's just my way. I just, I'm, just that, I'm just that type of person. I just got to say what I feel. What if your feelings are wrong? The Bible says this, in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. And I constantly go back to that verse, even with starting the church. Because I know that I, I, many times I could be wrong. I don't want to be wrong. Nobody wants to be wrong. So constantly going to people and constantly saying, hey, hey, hey how is this working? How, I, just, I want to check this. I want to check my thinking here. Let me run this by you. But instead, in the heat of the moment, we're just saying what I feel. The Bible says, a fool uttereth all his mind. Isn't that powerful? 
So the next time we're tempted to just go off, let's be careful. There was a guy, and uh, I was just curious because right now social media is having such an impact on our world on a socioeconomic level we never expected it to have. Whereas a lady who was working for a major uh, corporation that did advertising, she was headed to South Africa, and she sent out a tweet she thought would be funny. She had 172 followers, 172 followers. She sent out this tweet. She said, headed to South Africa, I hope I don't get AIDS. Stop, it gets better. She said, but it's okay, I'm white, I'll be fine. She turns off her phone, gets on the flight. I think the flight is a pretty long flight, it's not short. By the time she landed, she had lost her job, she was being sued, she had become this villain on social media, all because of 140 characters. I'm just saying what I feel. Okay. You is homeless. (laughs) There's another guy. It gets better. There's so many good stories. So many. I have so much fun studying for messages. He decided to go to Chick-fil-A, and he thought it'd be entertaining to his coworkers to go off on the lady at Chick-fil-A at the drive-thru. Chick-fil-A is new to this area. If you haven't been there, it's like God's food. Um, you just got to, they're closed on Sundays, so you have to eat Subway. But um, it's, uh, uh, Chick-fil-A is great. And he said, I'm going to go off on this lady. He, he orders a water. He says, I'm going to go off on this lady. And he goes off and he films it the entire time. He uploads the video and sends it. In the 15 minutes it took him to get back to his office, 15 minutes, he wrote a book about it. He said the $1 million glass of water, he sold 17 copies. The guy just got labeled a, just a villain. I mean, he let, on this video, he let this poor little drive through lady have it with obscenities, everything, over water. He gets back to his job. He was making, on annual, $250,000 a year. That was gone. He had a million dollars worth of stock options. That was gone. All because he decided, I'm going to post a little video, and I'm going to put this online. It's dangerous to just say, I'm just saying what I feel. You may be from the north, and uh, 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 some of us are, you know, you're just kind of like, well, I'm just kind of used to it. Around here, we don't really have a filter. We just kind of say it, you know. We just kind of, you know, I've noticed in Central Valley where I grew up, we kind of have a filter, you know, we, we think bad thoughts, but we don't say it. Up here, I've noticed, we just say it. I mean, there's just, time is money, man. Just spit it out. And I've noticed what we spit out isn't always all that great. And it's amazing that the Apostle Paul, here he's writing to encourage some people. And he's saying, guess what? Look, I can control how I think. I can control what I speak. And he said, I will control those. I will master those. James chapter number two, it talks about very much about our tongue. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. And it's saying how it can destroy, it can cut. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Are you controlling it? And then he said, I'm going to control how I feel. Let me get back to this. Some of you, you've said this before. That person made me mad. They made me mad. My boss made me mad. My kids just made me mad. My spouse just made me mad. And when we think about it, at first, we're just like, yeah, totally. I totally get that. I've had somebody make me mad. But then we stop. Are we like three years old? <laughs> they made me mad. Like, like they just picked you up and put you in the mad corner or something? Like, like they made you, like you had no control over this? They made you? you, you they, they, they made you mad. They, they said, if you're going to work here, you have to be mad. It sounds ridiculous when we think about it, huh? But when we don't stop and think about it, 
it sounds very normal. And that's how the world operates. Like, it's normal. That person just made me mad. That person cut me off. They made me mad. So that person who you'll never meet has power over your emotions? Is that how you want to go through life, where anybody can affect you? Can I tell you what you are? That's what you are. (laughs) Anybody can affect you. Anybody can set you off. Anybody. They just look at you wrong, and you just lit to pop. They just rub you the wrong way. I just don't like the way that person looked at you. The way they looked at you bothered you? Really? Is that all it takes? And I know it kind of seems like we're not getting very deep, but I want you to understand. But when it comes to our emotions, we're going to see climate change. But we've got to deal with what's inside. And for some of us, what's inside, we just let our emotions. I don't feel like going to church. Really? So, so that's, that's, that's the reason? That's it? Just don't feel like it? I just don't feel like doing this. Really? And some of us, we're just so driven by the emotions that it limits our potential for what God can do in us. And we don't think about that. We don't stop and consider that the emotions are limiting us. They're holding us captive. I want you to say, I want you to understand something. The Apostle Paul, this, the theme of this book is joy throughout this book. And he's going to teach us how to have joy, real joy. But I want you to understand, when it comes to feelings and somebody else made you mad, I want you to understand something. Your joy is your job. Touch somebody next to you and tell them, your joy is your job. Your joy is your job. That's your job. That's your job. Because some of you, you're like, I just need to be at Disneyland, then I'll be happy. I just need to raise, and then I'll be happy. I just need to better this, and I'll be happy. I just need to have that, and I'll be happy. No, no, no. Joy has nothing to do with those things. Nothing whatsoever. Joy is our job. It is a choice to rejoice this morning. That's the decision. Some people come in here, and they are smiling. They're excited. And then some people come in here, and they're saying, who's going to make me happy? And some of us go through life like that. Is that job going to make me happy? Will that spouse make me happy? Will that girlfriend make me happy? Will that boyfriend make me happy? Who's going to make me happy? It's nobody's job to make you happy. And if you think that's what marriage is all about, you're going to be gravely disappointed. If you think that's what your boss's job is, you're going to be gravely disappointed. If you think that's what this church exists for, you're going to be gravely disappointed. It's not other people's job to go around making sure you're happy. Like a little happy meter. Like, are you happy enough? Here's your happy meal. Don't worry, we didn't put, you know, I'll put the ketchup on each fry for you. Want to make sure you're happy. Did we get the right toy for you? Let me go back and get the right toy for you. Want to make sure you're happy. My, my life revolves around your happiness. No, it doesn't. And the Apostle Paul, he's stating the fact. He's saying, look, it is your job, Christian, to have joy. And guess what? We can have joy. Not just joy, but, oh, you got to see this. Go with me to John chapter number 15. I, I, like I said, we're not just going on a rabbit trail. We're going down the rabbit hole, and there's so many connections. John 15, you've got to see this. I saw this last night, and I was thinking, I'm going to throw that in my message. I wrote it down. John chapter number 15, I love this passage of Scripture, but we're going to kind of wrap it up with this verse, verse number 11. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Uh, here is two things. There's, there's, there's two joys in that verse. There's God's joy. And then there's our joy. Our joy would be like this, small, limited. But then God says, don't just just think about your joy. He's saying, let's 
put more than that. Let's, let's, let's add to that. And he's saying, look, look at this verse. He's saying that my joy might remain in you, to remain in you, not just visit in you, not just come around Christmas or on family vacation or at 5 o'clock on Friday. That's not when my joy comes. My joy doesn't come when you got that sale at the mall. My joy doesn't come when the, everything was perfect at home and all the kids were obedient and nice and the wife was just excited to see you. That's not when my joy comes. He's saying, hey, my joy will remain in you and then your joy will be full. I'll take that trade where God says his joy in me. I want God's joy. I want God's happiness. I want that in me. And he's saying it's going to remain. And then here's the best part. He says that you might be full or in some, a better translation would be that you might be overflowing with joy. That it's just coming out of you. It's just springing out of you. You can't contain all the joy that's inside of you. There's just so much joy. People that are around you, they get happy from being around you. There's just this joy around you. You just get around that person. You're just like, I like being around that person. Why? Because they're happy. They're joyful. When I get around them, I just feel like some of that joy just rubs off and I just feel better. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, let me put some of that in you, that joy that's just springing up inside, and that'll change things. The Apostle Paul saying, hey, I may be prisoner, but I'm not captive to my conditions. Hey, I'm not concerned. I'm confident. I'm not in confused. I'm in control. And some of you, that's the message for you this morning, that you have confidence, that you have control, and that these conditions aren't your captive. That's what you need this morning. And you need to understand that fact, understand that truth, and take it this week. Take it as the negative things happen, because guess what? Bad things are going to happen. But for some of you, your outlook is like, well, if I expect the worst, expect the worst, hope for the best. What kind of mindset is that? That's depressing that I expect the worst. It's because you really don't have true hope. Hope in God is more of a, um, a certainty than, than, than it is just kind of a guess. It's, it's, it's something we can take to the bank. It's something that we can say, no, no, I, I'm resting on this. I've got a confidence in this. As we close, just a testimony from my own life. I've noticed at times where my faith wasn't as strong as I needed it to be. It just wasn't strong. There are moments when I would second-guess myself, saying, Lord, did you really call me to this? Lord, is this really what you have for me? Just having those moments. And I began to go through a little bit of self-doubt. Then all of a sudden, I was thinking, wait a minute. Is this God trying to get me to come to some conclusions, or is this me just going deeper and deeper and deeper down this negativity? Then all of a sudden, I started reflecting on the goodness of God, on the greatness of God. And I started to reflect on the fact that he saved me, he bought me, he loves me, he cares for me, that he's going to continue working inside of me. And all of a sudden, guess what happened to my faith? It got stronger. It started building. Because your feelings will affect your faith. Some of you feel like you're a weak Christian. It's not that you're a weak Christian. It's because your feelings are affecting your faith. And you don't feel as powerful as you should be. And I know sometimes we we don't have enough time to really dive into that. What does it mean to feel powerful as a Christian? But God doesn't want us to go around as little victims. He wants to go around as Romans 8, that you are more than conquerors in Christ. But some of you say, I've never felt that. I've never felt that liberty, that freedom. It's because your feelings, because you're feeding these feelings. And we're going to go through it in this series. Every head bowed and every eye closed, dear Lord.